1: Welcome to My Millennial Career, my name is Shelley Johnson, I'm a HR consultant, and at the time of this recording, I'm in Melbourne, I've been running a bunch of workshops with leaders and teams on developing their culture and creating epic leaders, which is one of my favorite things to do. I've also recorded a stack of podcasts while I've been down here, and today's one is so good. You are going to want to listen to this episode if you've ever had a vibe that you might want to start a business. Or even if you think, oh maybe I wonder if I could earn some extra cash doing a side hustle. On today's episode, I'm joined by the one and only Emma Edwards. Emma is the founder of The Broke Generation, which is an amazing podcast and Instagram community with thousands and thousands of people who listen to her podcast, who follow her on Instagram. And she is the go-to place to help millennials feel good about their money. And she's also started a new podcast called Broke Business, which is about starting your business and going on the journey to becoming a business owner. And today we wanted to talk about what it takes to start your own business, or maybe what it takes to build a side hustle. Emma shares all her advice about her own business journey, the highs, the lows, and everything in between. You're going to love it. I just found myself nodding along to every single thing Emma said. She's amazing. Let's get into it. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelly Johnson and I'm joined today by Emma Edwards. Hey, Em. Hey, how are you? Good. So, today on the show, we're talking about business. And I don't think we've done a podcast about starting your own business on My Millennial Career. Oh, well, I'm glad to be the first. You're the first. <laughs> I just, I can't, I'm tro- I'm trying to trawl back through, but I, I don't think we have. And I wanted to talk to you because you've just released a new podcast Tell us about it. I have just released a new podcast. It sits alongside my main show, The
2: Broke Generation Podcast. It is called Broke Business and it is a little corner of The Broke Generation brand specifically for talking money with business owners, the self-employed and side hustlers because I have learned in my own experience that money and the kind of psychology and behavior of money in particular is an entirely different ballgame when it's all on all on you. So, yeah, that's why that has been created to have those conversations specifically for that sort of segment.
1: It's really interesting when you start your own business how much you realise you don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, how much you realise you don't know and also the things that are activated
2: within you that were effectively useless before, like especially around money. Like there's a career, you have an income, and there's a ceiling, for want of a less negative term, that gives a sense of reliability and safety. And, you know, when you're not moving between jobs or you're not getting a promotion, you don't really need to think about your earnings that much. It's kind of like, I'm getting this, and then you, you manage it from, like, downwards. But... When you're self-employed, you have to do that bit and then the upwards bit as well and, like, bring the money in and you've got to spend money to make money and that brings up a lot of stuff and you've got your financial behaviour and then the business's financial behaviour but they're both kind of you and, yeah, it's it, there's so much to say.
1: It's a really, if you want to go on a personal growth journey, <laughs> yes. start a business yes, or become a sole trader yeah. or f- freelance. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is one of the most challenging, I think, personal growth journeys you'll do. It really is. I have got, I've prepared a bunch of questions and I love your new podcast and I was listening to your business story the other day and it's just amazing how authentically you speak about your own journey and the highs and the lows that come with backing yourself Mm. because there's a lot of courage that it takes to step out and go all in on your business. I'd love to know for our listeners, just a bit of of context, we've got a lot of listeners who will want to consider down the track, do I do a side hustle? Do I start a business? Do I freelance? What would be your encouragement to anyone who's thinking about this idea of maybe one day they want to start their own business? What would be your first thing that you would recommend they do?
2: Mm, Okay. I mean, firstly, before I sort of talk about first thing I recommend that they do, I just want to, I guess, recognize one of the most amazing things that our generation has and you know in so much systemic <laughs> discomfort problematic kind of things that our generation has to experience One of the things that we do have is we live in a time where you can start a business this afternoon if you want to. You can start earning money online. You can start monetizing your skills. You can, it's so, the the barriers to entry are effectively nil now. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes, there's different kind of scales and it depends on what kind of business you want to do. But if you have any kind of hunger for business, self-employment, entrepreneurship, side hustling, whatever, or just, just a kind of passion that you want to monetize in any way, it's never been easier. And with social media and all kinds of other like free or low cost tools, you actually can kind of build something slowly or quickly or however you need to on the side of your job, which is, you know, there's a lot to be said about hustle culture. And yes, jobs are demanding enough and we shouldn't need to be earning extra money on the side. But say you want to or you want to start building something to later do full time or, you know, half, half or whatever. It is amazingly accessible now. And you can do it without having to have the privilege and the resources and the access to have a period of time with no income. Um, You know, there's that kind of traditional like entrepreneur startup founder where they like have no income for two years and they're eating noodles under their desk at WeWork. (laughs) (laughs) And sure, like if you're doing a big kind of VC funded operation, then that may be the case. But there's this other pocket of business where, yeah, you can you can grab a laptop or a microphone or your car and start earning money on the side and generating an income and building an, an asset effectively. Your business can become an asset for you that you can use for all kinds of things to make money, to develop your personal brand, to, to further your career. Like that's how I started with side hustling, using it in my career. And it has helped me massively in my career. Even before I went full-time self-employed, I got jobs. It's something to talk about in an interview. Like there are so many benefits. The first, in terms of answering a question, the first thing I suggest that people do is, what is the first thing I suggest (laughs) that people do? I would say, think about the purpose of it. So whatever it is, whether you're driving Uber or um, cat sitting, I did that once, spoiler, or freelancing your services or whatever, think about the purpose of what you're doing. Is it because you'd like to do that full time someday and it's a passion? Is it because you need extra money? Is it a bit of both? Is it because you want to try and unlock a new level in your career and you want, you know, you're not getting those opportunities at your job, but you know, for whatever reason you want to stay there because you are, I don't know, buying a house and you want to keep that consistent income and you don't want to go into a new probationary environment, whatever. Think about what the purpose is because that helps you make decisions. I think if you, and I'll kind of give an example as to why that is, if you start a side hustle to make extra money but it happens to be something that you're passionate about it can get very cloudy in terms of for example what clients you take on or the direction you go with it so let's say for example you're a graphic designer and you go into it because you want to make money that is your primary focus it's going to be a lot easier for you to then go oh do i take on this really kind of dry boring client that are paying really well if your primary motivated is to make money that's an easy decision, yes. If your primary motivator is because you want to be a graphic designer for sports companies and you're being offered good money by an accountant, yes, you may take that, but you may take it with a slightly different intention or you may go, you know what, no, because your intention is to build a portfolio of work being a graphic designer for sports companies. And when you know what that motivator is, it helps you with those like crossroads. And the reason that's important is because particularly when it's something that you're doing on the side, those decisions actually can define where you end up. And so doing it with much more intentionality can help you, you know, do I take on this awfully low paid gig? Well, if you're making money, then no. But if it's an amazing company that's actually could, you know, that's going to go in your portfolio. And that's going to mean that the next time you approach a sports company, they're going to go, oh, well, they worked with them then yeah, you might. So it really helps with those um, fork in the road moments or those decisions where you're kind of like, oh, it's not quite right, but should I? When you know the reason you're doing it, that's why. That's really, really helpful.
1: I love that so much about finding out your why for starting a side hustle or starting a business Mm -hmm. and really using that. It always becomes like the grounding for you in what you're doing. Yes. And I sometimes think about this, that you might have two whys you might have why am I why do I love serving this particular client? So like for me in my business I do HR, so why do I do HR? I love helping leaders build epic teams. Mm -hmm. So that's my kind of business why. But my personal why is I want to set my family up for financial security and I want to have a a lifestyle that we enjoy, that we're not working all the time. And Mm -hmm. so hopefully the business is a vehicle to do that. I think For you, I'd love to know about your own story when you, I mean, you started The Broke Generation as a side hustle. Did you have that clear why in mind? I sort of did. and It's kind of
2: got a few layers to it. So I originally started The Broke Generation because for one, I was going through this kind of financial awakening of my own. And I was like, God, I can't be alone in this. I can't be the only person that didn't know these things. I can't be the only person that had no idea how to manage money. Um, so there was sort of that like passion there. And I was, you know, uh, often had little bits and pieces on the side. So I had that sort of side hustle muscle. That rhymes. Um, <laughs> how that handy. One, we have to write that one down. Yeah. <laughs> but that one a bumper <laughs> Um But I sort of my primary motivator in terms of application was this will probably help me get a better job because I was in working in a small business that I was very comfortable in. I had an amazing relationship with my employer, but because it was a very small business, there just weren't necessarily, there wasn't loads of places to go. Um, And I sort of thought, you know, know, heart wise, I could have worked there forever. But um, when it's a very small team and, you know, the work is the work, you know, you, you tire of it eventually. So I didn't want to leave that job. And, you know, for a few reasons, I was applying for a visa and things at the time. And it was in my interest to remain employed with my employer. I was comfy. I don't really know where I was going to go next. And so I thought, well, I'll start this blog as it started, because it will have, you know, it will mean that my words are on the internet. It gives me a bit of a portfolio. And in my mind, I was thinking, ah, I'm a copywriter, social media type person in the financial services industry. That's going to be pretty good, good, pretty good money. You could see sort of online, you know, you never really know exactly, but you go on Seek and, you know, the um, copywriter roles in financial services, insurance, superannuation, pretty well paid. I was doing a bit of that work um, in another agency I'd worked in before and I found that interesting and I liked learning stuff as I was writing. So I thought, good fit, I'll start this blog and, you know, at worst, it will help me get another job in my career. Something to talk about in interviews, something a bit interesting about me, because I'd been in this comfy job for a long time now. Within that, though, I sort of soon took it onto social media. And with that, I, this is where it gets sort of interesting. I think when you're doing any sort of creative endeavor or, you know, whether it's an Instagram or a TikTok or a podcast, there's that obvious Need to be realistic that you can't go into it and go. My new side hustle is an Instagram, and I'm going to make loads of money (laughs) because it's like cool stories. So a few thousand dollar people. So you have that sense of realism that it's very very hard to grow that type of thing to the point that it's monetized for the amount of input you have to put in. But I did set it up to be commercially viable from the beginning. I at that time. um, So I think that she's on the money was in very early stages, my millennial money was in very early stages, like the sort of the the finance media was sort of in its infancy in Australia, shall we say, there were, I'm not really sure what it was like in the US. I think it all sort of boomed around the same time, but particularly in Australia, there would have been people online sharing their debt free journey or their grocery hacks or their budget hacks. But that sort of commercially, commercially viable media side was fairly new. The influencer side was sort of fairly new. And I think where maybe I approached it differently to some other people was that I went in with brand colors and typography and photography and the website was there and I'd paid to have that built. And I knew some ways that it could make money. I didn't obviously have access to those because I had no following to monetize. But in my mind, I was like, well, okay, we're seeing on social media people making money by teaching us how to do winged eyeliner. And then they're getting sponsored by an eyeliner brand. In my mind, I was like, well, okay, I can talk about money online and be sponsored by a money brand. Spoiler alert, that all kind of collapsed when the ASIC investigation started and the questions around financial advice on social media sort of changed, changed the landscape a little bit. But I did go in with this idea that here are a few applications for what this is. I want to talk about this online and it could either do this, this or this, and this is how it could be monetized and this is where I could go from there. It wasn't one of the, I guess the reason I describe it like that is a lot of people go, I never thought it would be anything like people just started reading it and I couldn't believe it. I fully intended for people to read it. I fully intended for people to get value from it. I just knew that that wasn't likely. Not to like undersell myself. I just mean it's a very crowded marketplace on social media. There are a lot of people with great content saying great things and they just don't get seen. There's an algorithm to contend with, there's competition, there's your own energy and your own frequency, and you have to be to a degree likable. And there's a lot of currency on social media and being attractive. And a lot of people are not saying anything better than anyone else, but they're attractive. And that was all very, you know, I knew that I wasn't that influencer, slim, blonde, on a beach in Bali type thing. So I knew all of that, but I still went in with it to be commercially viable, which I think sort of going back to your original question, viability is really important. And like an example, I remember in business studies in school, we did a feasibility study as like one of our projects, and it was actually a really good experience because a lot of the time, you know, when you're just like with your friends, and you kind of go, oh, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a, here's an example, like when you're at the wine bar, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a shuttle bus that could take everybody home? And I'm the one that's always like, well, hang on, how many people live in this area and how many buses would you need? And sort of like number crunching the feasibility <laughs> of that business model. I love it. But I think it's really important because say you go, oh, I'm a massive fan of Carlton Football Club and I'm going to start a, a channel um, about that you've got to think about the viability of that in that how many members are a member of Carton Football Club? That is your kind of... Or how many people are a fan of Carlton Football Club? That's like your maximum pool of people. Obviously, not everyone that follows Carton Football Club is going to read your blog, follow your Instagram. So then you kind of... I'm getting really sort of specific here, but I think that just the broad concept of viability is really important when you're starting anything and it was a big focus for starting the brand generation. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Sorry, that was hugely long. No,
1: amazing. It kind of goes to your marketing background, right, of thinking through, okay, what is the market here yes. for this particular business? I also love your marketing and copywriting brain in terms of how do I make this brand stand out? Mm. And I think your brand from the beginning, even calling it the broke generation, your brand has stood out, Mm. especially in that market of, of of influencers where we've seen, you know, you have just brought this fun energy, very bright, very vibrant, really different and fresh to a space that I think has been pretty like, you know, clinical Mm. and, and, and could be pretty dry. I love knowing that from the beginning you started it with that in mind because often we think about the idea of like minimum viable product and we just kind of put together some hodgepodge (laughs) thing.
2: Yeah, which I mean to some degree it was. You know, I'll just get it out there, I'll get the words out there and you kind of refine as people pick it up and that kind of thing. And you'll notice obviously it's not my name, it's the broke generation so that I didn't get trapped in it being me, even though you kind of are because visibly my face is on everything, but it's still not my name. But I got the copyright, the, the trademark for that. Like I put that money into those things from that early stage, which I think is um, Yeah, it's how is you're, you're
1: setting it up from yes. the beginning, not knowing if it'll fully take off but going, well, I'm going to – If it does, already, ready. Yeah. And also the – There's something powerful about investing in something. I think once we're invested now, that might be a time investment, that might be a money investment. It could be getting you – it could just be getting a landing page. Like I kind of think what are the small steps people could take to – if they've got this kind of inkling that they want to do their own business or they want to do a side hustle, like why not just get a landing page – do something that you can start to point people to. Oh, I'm also doing this thing because I love for you that your why was to get another job because you realized in your current employ- employer you didn't have the career ladder there that was going to give you the progression. So you're like, Well, how do I get the growth that I need? Well, I'm going to create this thing, and like such a self starter, like just making it happen. I think a lot of us are in this similar zone where. Maybe we've been in a job for a while and we're a bit bored or we're like, oh, I don't know what to do next, but I do love the culture here. The side hustle is a great way to kind of get some growth while keeping the security. Are there any like pitfalls that come with having a side hustle? <laughs> so many,
2: so many. And I think being really intentional from the outside can really help you mitigate a lot of them. The biggest one is obviously burnout, depending on the hours that you're pulling at your job. And I have to say, I have never, oh, I had one real estate job that was like pretty demanding, but I've never had jobs where they expect you to stay until 9, 10 o'clock at night or you've got such a huge workload where you are pulling 15-hour days. Like I've had very intense jobs during the time and obviously I've worked late and I've traveled for work and that kind of thing. But I'm not saying that I've ever had like, um you know, I've got friends that are lawyers and they have to literally work till 3 o'clock in the morning. In that environment, I would probably suggest don't add anything else to your plate. But it's kind of an interesting conversation around if you are starting something, don't just rely on the fact that you will be motivated to find the time. Because at first the motivation is very high, but there is you know, the, su- the success of most things, including business, is consistency. So what's I find what I think is really important and something I always suggest to people if they are talking about starting a side hustle is thinking about look at your life and your schedule and where are there pockets of not just time but energy that you can actually sort of spend in your business? Because Anyone with a business or a side hustle will know that it's not just the thing that you set out to do. If you set out to be a graphic designer, cat sit, whatever. When it's a business, there's a million other things that need to happen around that. And those things will grow as the business grows. And I think that there's a lot of a lot of the advice around starting a side hustle or a business is just start. And my advice is the complete opposite of that. Yes, love the energy, just start. But before you just start, just think about, when are you going to do this? Are you going to do this on Wednesday nights? Are you going to do this on Sundays? Because not only does that make sure that you've got the time to actually start it, because there is nothing worse. I mean, lo- loads of us have got old blogs that never that never went anywhere or whatever, because the motivation will wear off after a while, and, unless you get really lucky and it does take off really quickly. But let's be realistic and assume that you don't sort of put one scrunchie online and suddenly Mecca wants to stock them, you know. Let's assume that um, it's, a, it's something you need to work on over time. Not only does making sure that you've got the time and those energy pockets to do it help you with that consistency, but it also helps you with separation from it. Because if you go in going, I'm going to put all my spare time into this side hustle, you probably will put all your, well, you've got two outcomes. You'll either get bored and not do it, or you will put all your time in and you'll probably be rewarded with some kind of momentum because that's what happens when you put everything into it, into something. But then suddenly you've got no free time. And this happened to me when we went into lockdown. We go into lockdown, March, 2020. Everybody's baking bread, watching Tiger King. And I was, so this time I was full-time self-employed and I had my side hustle of the broke generation, also freelance copywriting. And I was cat sitting, but obviously that all completely crumbled because nobody was going on holiday. And I was like, I have no free time, because I never created any separation. And that was a lesson I learned along the way. You know, we talk about going into it with all these kind of plans and commercial viability. My massive blind spot was time. And I just put all my time and energy into it because at first you're juiced up and it's going well. And then you hit a wall and suddenly you're kind of like, where do I go from here? And it can literally be the difference between business success and failure because if you hit a wall at the wrong time and you can't, you know, if you hit a wall and you've got an opportunity that you literally can't take because you don't have the time or the energy, it it can be make or break. So I always suggest, and this is how I take on anything new now, whether it's a new project, a new client, whatever, I resource myself as though I'm a team member in a business, with the time that I have available. So obviously I'm lucky to be full-time self-employed now, so it works slightly differently. But if I were employed, and this is sort of what I started to do when I was in lockdown, realising that, oh my God, I have no time. How is everybody watching Tiger King? I still haven't seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, I haven't watched it. Three years later. I still (laughs) never made banana bread.
1: Um, (laughs) (laughs) But...
2: I would be looking at my schedule and go okay I'm going to resource myself on Wednesday and Thursday evenings and Sunday morning. What does that give me? Okay, 3 out and again be realistic. Don't go over oh, from 5 till 10 because you're not home at 5. <laughs> give yourself some breathing room. So I've got 3 hours on Wednesday's, 3 hours on Thursday's and I'm going to do Sunday mornings from 9 till 1. That gives me oh, 10, 4. Five, yeah, 10 hours how can I spend that 10 hours on my business? Maybe you can take on six hours of client work. So what is your hourly rate going to be? How much, you know, again, viability, is this viable? Is this feasible? Is this worth it? Take on six hours of client work. What's your hourly rate going to be? And then there's four hours you can spend on marketing, invoicing, emails, templates, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. Thinking about you as a resource like that and spending yourself on your business is really, really helpful. Whether you are starting a side hustle or whether you're already in business, that mindset is really important and it helps you kind of factor your worth into it as well when you think about
1: using yourself as like ours, you know. Oh my gosh, this is so good. This is hitting hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is so good. I also think that helps you to be more realistic because I think we well, I don't know if everyone, everyone agrees, but, you know, let me know if you don't. I think we can be overly optimistic about what we can achieve when we when we take on a new gig so I think similar maybe to you when you started maybe a little bit different but when I first started this podcast we I don't know when, when was it was it—three, three four three plus years ago maybe working full-time and you don't realize how long things will take and you're like getting to it you're like we're well, gonna release weekly podcasts and that was all good but that took I don't know, probably like six, I reckon four hours a week, Mm, maybe more. Yeah.
2: And I don't know if you relate to this as well. Yes, you get faster at things, but particularly, and this does depend on what we're talking about, but say we're talking about social media content, podcasts, newsletters, any kind of output of content that is regular. (laughs) I say this to people all the time. My greatest advice to anyone starting particularly a podcast or social media is to constantly be ahead, even if you're not ahead of output, ahead of ideas, because yes, that first podcast you created probably took way longer than this one. But after a year of episodes every single week, you run out of stuff to say, and you have to be a lot more creative with the way that you convey the message. I think it's really easy to go, oh, one hour podcast. Yeah, I can do that in, even if you, even if you have the wherewithal to go, yeah, it's four hours. But what happens in a year's time when, you know, you've got loads of ideas at first and your first 20 episodes are the easiest, even if they take the longest in terms of practicalities, because you're learning the gear, the equipment, the files, you know, publishing, hosting, the ideas (laughs) and having something to say, that runs dry real quick. And I think that's like the secret next level and the secret hard part that kind of as you get more experience and you get quicker and it should get easier, it gets harder because of this need to have something to say or or,
1: your idea depleted. It's interesting as well because I think for anyone who wants to start a side hustle or start their own business, you do need to create content. Yeah. And I was having this exact conversation the
2: other day, like in so many modern businesses, there is a, in all businesses, there's a component of Quote unquote unpaid work or, or foundational work that needs to be done, but more so than ever. Because really, whether you are opening a wine bar, starting an accounting firm, or starting a podcast, you're going to need to have social media. So you need to be, or, you, or some sort of promotion. Mm, that's right. So you need to be creating content, and that takes energy <laughs> and ideas.
1: Ideas. And I mean, it's just, it's really interesting thinking about it as a journey of going, okay, well, For you, you started out, you're still employed, you started the broke generation. Tell me like what, at what point did you decide, how long were you doing the side hustle before you decided to go all in?
2: Yeah, this is a really interesting question. So I started, I'd always been side hustling since I ever came to Australia. So in 2015, I had to freelance when I first got here because I couldn't get hired for a job for love nor money. So I fell into freelancing in terms of a contractor role. So I didn't have clients per se. I sort of did, but they were like agencies and I was just freelancing to them. So I'd always had some sort of side hustle and I kind of kept doing that as I got employed and I would dial it up and dial it down. Sometimes I'd do nothing. So by the time I went self-employed full time in end of 2021, start of 2022, I'd been doing it for like seven years to some degree. The broke generation didn't start until 2019, and sort of even now, it's not it's not fully functional as a business. I still freelance on the side, and, and they kind of cross-pollinate one another. But I think I went full-time maybe a year too late, maybe a year and a half too late. So I'd started to think about it around end of 2019, start of 2020. I was starting to think, I, I kind of knew in my mind, I was I was full-time employed in uh, as a copywriter in e-commerce, and I knew that my next move would probably be self-employment. Then COVID happened and I didn't know if I was going to keep my job. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, what's going to happen? My husband got put on JobKeeper, but he was still working. So it was a pay cut, but for the same amount of hours, which ended up not being legal. But that was kind yeah, of hard. I'm just
1: thinking, I don't, that doesn't sound right. Yeah,
2: it was, that, that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, there wasn't, you know, a lot of people got put on JobKeeper and then they took on a side hustle as well to kind of make up the gap, but there wasn't that sort of flexibility. So I was like, all right, I'll stay in the job and I'll because my pay didn't get cut. We actually experienced COVID a lot earlier, which ended up helping because my that our warehouses were based in China. So we experienced the impacts of COVID end of 2019. So we were sort of I felt like I got a bit of quote unquote certainty around what was happening with that job a bit earlier because we'd known this was going to hit the fan for a long time before it did. Anyway, just a random little fun fact. At that point, I was thinking, oh, what do I do? And I thought, well, I'm going to stay in this job while he's on JobKeeper and while there's all this uncertainty. Then I get a knock on my LinkedIn from a prospective employer. We have a call, um, and I was like, and they were looking for a copywriter in the finance space. And I thought, oh, ding, 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 here we go. Started the pro generation, got me a job. Anyway, I said, um, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not looking for another job. I've got a job. My next move will be self-employment. But, you know, we, we chatted POM to POM, because he was English as well. Me saying, you know, oh, my next move will be self-employment, but I'm, I'm not really moving at the moment because of the economy and blah, 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 blah. So that was that. Three months down the track, I think, I hear from him again. And he said, what if I offered you a part-time job so that you could kind of have your cake and eat it? You could grow the business a bit more and not be working everything on the side hustle evenings and weekends, but you'd still have that job and I'd pay you sort of roughly the same as what you're getting. It ended up being, I, I was on, I think, 65 at my job and I was ended up for for three days instead of five, I was getting like 55. So like, it wasn't exactly the same, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like Mm -hmm. getting three days, you know, it was kind of like like working four days, but only working three, getting paid for four days, only working three. So I thought as most people do when I, when I tell them this, they go, Oh, that's, that's perfect. Best of both worlds. So I was like, I'd be nuts to say no to you. Yes. Okay, fine. So I leave my job. I go to this part-time job and I think I've like made it. Like, because everybody's also telling me this. Oh my God, part-time business, part-time job. That's the dream. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. It's the dream. It's really hard. Like split passions. I would probably, going back to your other question, like what's the hardest kind of part or the downfalls? Split passion is really hard or split attention or split energy. Like it's actually a lot. So I would work Monday, Tuesday for myself and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for this job. I'm also a chronic people pleaser. So I was like, and, and I was grateful to have a part-time job and I understand the difficulties with hiring part-time employees, particularly if it's not a job share situation where anybody else is covering the days that you're not there. So I said, you know, look, I only work online. It's very rare that I'm unavailable. If you need me on the other days or you need me to shift my days, you know, I was just obsessed with pleasing this business and, you know, whatever you need me to do, I'll work that day. And so mm. I guess on paper, my priorities were job first, business second, which is... To be fair, I do think if you're employed and you've got something on the side and your employer is respectful of that, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that because it's, you know, your employer, they need you to be dedicated to your job. And so I felt like I was doing the right thing. The problem was, though, that I would either be having a fab time at my job, yep, maybe I'll go full time, you know, maybe this and this. Or I was like, this job is dead to me. I'm just doing this. It was really, really hard to have both and also to switch modes Especially when the modes were recording podcasts, showing up on social media. And then I had to go and be an employee. And, you know, albeit it was a very casual environment, small business, agency, creative environment. So I wasn't like going from, you know, being suited and booted in court to recording a podcast (laughs) about my personal life. But it was two modes, two different energies, two levels of responsibility. And actually the interesting thing was two levels of authority. So Monday, Tuesday, I was the boss. I was also, and you know, it's kind of confronting to admit this, but you know, I have a personal brand, I I have a level of influence, I have a level of authority, I post things and, and people psychologically, ding, 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 people like, they comment, they praise you for what you're doing, you're in control of that to some degree. If I don't like something, I don't do it, you know, to some degree, but you know, there's much more control and then you're working for someone else and you have to, be in a hierarchy and you have to have other people's inputs that may not that may be a personality clash for you. And balancing both of those like lives, all the while going in and out of lockdown, working virtually with a boss that hated working virtually it was it was a lot to factor in. And I always say to people, be careful of thinking that part-time job, part-time business is the promised land, because it has to be the right business, it has to be the right job, and it has to be the right person. Wow. It's not always I think I would have been better off, and, you know, hindsight is wonderful, but I think I would have been better off staying in my original nine-to-five for six to eight more months and then going straight to full-time from there, personally.
1: Wow. Uh, Did that answer I, your question? Sorry, yes. I don't even I love, <laughs> I love that idea of it has to be the right person, the right company. I think we feel that we have that clear separation, like I'm just going to take my employee hat off and then put my business owner or sole trader hat on now but it's not that simple like and you you tend to find when you have a side hustle your employer will always probably come first because they're your main income right and and rightly so they you need to prioritize your main income source and make sure that you're allocating your focus proportionately to that But uh, you raised such a good point. I'm just, I'm like smiling my head off if people could see when you're (laughs) describing that idea of I'm my own boss on these days. And on this day, um, I have another boss and you're like, I have to, that in and of itself is a mindset shift Mm. and can be quite challenging because it's nice to have full discretion. And that's one of the selling points of having your own business. Like honestly, I think a lot of people who start their own business, they'll tell you, gee, I don't reckon I could be an employee again.
2: Exactly. And so you're kind of doing both. And I guess the other thing to add to that right person, right job, right business, it also has to be fair to your employer. It's a difficult one. But if you think about from your employer's perspective, which we don't love doing, especially if our employer is not our favorite person, if you are employed And you have, you know, I think side hustle, I think if you're employed full time, what you do on the side should be irrelevant. I know a lot of companies have clauses around that. I think that's, you know, sometimes if there's client conflicts of interest, that's important. But I do think generally, if it's outside of the 40 whatever hours, that should not be their business. But I do think that if you are working part time and on your own business, it does need to be fair on your employer out of respect for them, because while you may see it, Or I did see it as a sort of layover on the way to full time self employment. When you, and you will understand this if this is your situation because you're a business owner yourself, when you think about that, what are they essentially offering you? You know, they're offering you all of the security that comes with employment, knowing you're not going to stay which is you know they know that they're going to have to replace you at some point unless it is a you fully intend to do both ongoing but a lot of the time it is a layover on the way to full time self employment and so it does there is a bit of a battle of i guess energy and respect and future sort of viewpoints to make it fair for your employer because it's rare that you'll you'll hear me advocate for the employer let's be honest cuz i'm like do what you want to do but it does need to be fair for them I
1: think it's got to be a win-win. Yes. And I think I sit on the, in my job, like on the employer side most of the time. And I think it can be hard for the, on the employer side when they feel like you are investing most of your quality energy into your thing on the side that's not making any money. And the main gig that you need to, you know, pay all the bills you're investing, you know, 60% in. So we need to make sure when we're doing a side hustle that, it's a win-win. And you're absolutely right. I don't think that employers have the monopoly on your time. And I don't think they should be stipulating, well, no, you can't do that because you know, blah, 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 whatever their reason is. I'm like, no, that's not how the world works now. But I just think we need to make sure we're performing really well because when that thing ends, like I always think about the long game with employment relationships. When that employment relationship ends, when you go full time in your business, you want them, the the test that you've done a good job is that they're a raving fan of you. Mm. Now, if you can do that and move across and start your own business, then you've done a really, really good job of managing that transition because you're still invested in them and you've invested into your own thing to the point where you can exit and do your own business. Mm.
2: Yes, and it's it's a delicate balance to strike, and I think that sort of just thinking back to what I said then about you know that they, they know that they're going to have to replace you. I guess some people would argue that that's always the case, but I think that what's interesting in that environment, if they know that they're a layover on the way to full time self employment, is that there's nothing they can do. It's not like a, we can give you pay rise, we can offer you growth, we can offer you this. It's rare, even if the employee knows that they won't stay forever, it's rare that that's known to the employer and if you think about it in a full-time environment if you've got an employee that works for you full-time part-time with anything on the side if you know that they are going to leave at some undefined point in the future yes it's it's okay but i just think that when it is publicly known there is a level of energy balancing and respect that that makes it a complex relationship and maybe why it's not quite as amazing as it sounds on the surface, you know, part-time this, part-time that. Uh, Having one thing to focus on is substantially easier.
1: (laughs) So much easier, definitely. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis but also those things that you want like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role. Or if it's time to quit your job, you can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audiobook, sort your career out and make more money. Now let's get back to the show.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away.
1: What, do you, what would you say, having done your own business now for a while, for a couple of years, you've been all in, you've been doing it for a lot longer than that, but what would you describe as the advantages? Like if someone's listening now and they, they want to potentially do this, but they're like, what, is, what am I actually getting myself into? Because you don't know until you step into it. Yeah.
2: How would you describe them? It's a great question. And I think that it's. Um I think that there's a weird gray area between you've got people online you know, have such a visibility with businesses now and how we perceive them to be doing. You never really know what's going on behind the scenes, but there's this sort of pocket of content, people, businesses sort of saying about how amazing it is on this like really, really sort of esoteric, almost elusive utopian level where it's like business class flights and Louis Vuitton bags. And, you know, I'm making seven, eight figures. I work one hour a week, you know, these extremes. And you kind of think, hmm, that sounds a little fishy like that. There's that that good side of business. Then there's the real talkers, which I fully admit I do this. I'm in this camp where we're talking about the real side of business and it's usually pretty negative, which is important because you need to understand and it's good for you know business owner to business owner, prospective business owner looking at going to business to know the realities of it. There's rarely much talk about the good stuff that isn't particularly sexy, which is what I hope to answer now. So I say the main advantages to self-employment, control, and I mean that in various ways, but the main one being control over where your money comes from how you earn it and how you respond to adversity. So, I'm having a conversation with uh, a friend of mine who's also self-employed this morning, and she was kind of like, "Oh my god, guys, I'm seeing people, loads of business, loads of people's businesses are closing down. Like, what's happening? Uh, I just feel like I, everywhere I look, people are closing down their businesses. Um, I'm really scared about the economy." And I sort of, you know, completely surprised myself. Normally, I would spiral. You know, you do have these spirals, and it happens. Happens as an employee You spiral that you're going to lose your job. But as self, when you're self-employed, you also sometimes have these spirals. But the thing that always pulls me out of it and the thing that, that I pulled her out of it this morning was that we feel like there's security in being employed and lack of security being self-employed. But whereas when you're employed, you're kind of waiting for this one final absolute decision where you either stay or you go, you're either restructured out or you're made redundant or whatever, or you're not, with self-employment you have a lot more levers to pull at. So depending on what you do, say you own a restaurant or you are a graphic designer, like the examples we've been working with, you can offer a new service, you can do a special offer, you can do a promotion, you can create something that's like got a bit of buzz about it, a bit of novelty, try and get a cash injection that way. It's not as cut and dry as you're employed or you're not. And there's empowerment and there's also vulnerability in that. But when adversity, internal, external, whether it's you need money for something or the economy's screeching to a halt or whatever, surface level is like, oh, my God, you're really vulnerable because you're self-employed. But I feel like you've got a lot more pull. You know, you can go out and, you know, depending on how your business is structured, but you can go out and drive Uber with your ABN if you want. Or, you know, you can do all kinds of different things to bring money in and keep things afloat and you can try lots of different things and you're not at the mercy necessarily of an employer or a manager or a corporate structure or something like that. I think the other benefit, and I don't know if people listening will relate to this, but I'm sure some will, is that when I was employed and a big call for me to be self-employed was that I knew that I didn't really want to be a manager of big teams, which in a lot of industries is really your only way to get to those higher earning capacities or to have a certain level of autonomy or whatever. Whereas now you can, yes, you may need to manage people in some capacity, but you also don't have to. Like there's that book called Business of One. You actually, if you don't want anything to do with anyone else ever, (laughs) you actually can make enough money for your lifestyle, for your goals, whatever, just doing things with just you. But also, even if it does mean managing other people, you can do that in a slightly different way than being in that sort of corporate trap of needing to get promoted to unlock the next level, but then you're not doing what you love doing. So say you're a graphic designer, say you're a writer, say you're, you know, I don't know, a real estate agent, then you get you know, I don't know if anyone watches Selling Sunset, but we saw it with one of the characters in Selling Sunset. Mary, she got this promotion to be the office manager, but it meant less time doing what she loved doing, which was selling real estate. Same in lots of marketing jobs. I was always like, I want to do the, the work, the output. I don't want to edit someone else's output, but that's the only way that I can ever even think about earning six figures, for example, which in Australian dollars nowadays is not even that much money anymore. So... I think that there's a lot more, I guess, control over where your money comes from in terms of adversity, but also there's so many different ways to work that aren't necessarily conducive to a corporate environment. It also means, I think as well, that you can, and again, this all comes back to intentionality. You've got to be careful not to just accidentally work a nine to five job, but with an AVN, <laughs> yes, <laughs> really easy to yeah. do. But like I'm from the UK and I love that I am not hamstrung by annual leave. I can, you know, it's not so much a case of take time off whenever you want because it doesn't really work like that, but I can work in different places. I can make sure that all my in-person stuff is away from that month or two months or three months that I want to go to the UK. And it's one of those things that whether or not I go back to the UK is one thing, but the biggest, I think, relief or benefit almost is that when I was employed and I had four weeks of annual leave, I was constantly terrified that I would need to go home and I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't have enough leave. You know, I always had very gracious employers that knew that that was, you know, I'm, my mum lives alone and I'm an only child. So I would often say that to people, you know, I, I may need to go home. But it was such a stressor because, I, you know, anytime I used any annual leave for anything else, I'd be thinking, oh God, I should keep it in case I need to go home for something. Or even if that employer would allow me to work from there, you're still trying to work for someone else and you're still a burden on their business and you don't know how that's going to work. Like the self-employment for all of its um, responsibilities and perils has, for my lifestyle, allowed me to just take that weight off. And I know that I can just grab my laptop on a suitcase and go if I need to, wherever that is, whether that is the UK or somewhere else. You know, my husband's still employed full time, which is a bit bummer because
1: (laughs) I can't just (laughs) be like, see ya, fly off to Fiji, (laughs) be back in three months.
2: (laughs) But equally, if I wanted to or needed to, like you can. So I think it all relates to you know some people's lifestyles are perfectly suited to a nine-to-five job like particularly my husband's a great example he doesn't have that like bringing work home thing like once he's out the door for the most part it's he's gone off. yeah yeah and he doesn't feel you know he's very good at boundaries and he's very good at you know going in doing the work getting it done getting paid and leaving it's not sort of whereas in self-employment it would be very different for him because it's kind of all-consuming and it's always there all the time and you know that's it's very different. Whereas it, he's, he's the perfect employee. He's, it works perfectly for him. So yeah, I think that's another important point just to kind of wrap that up on. You don't have to be self-employed to be happy. I think some people genuinely believe that you do. I don't. It works for me and it works for some people. Equally, it doesn't work for some people. Oh, it's, I, very <laughs> it's very stressful. It's very stressful. I do think that, that is why we are seeing more so now more businesses publicly call it a day. Because on the one hand, the barriers to entry of a business are lower, so I think there are more businesses. But the barriers to exit are also lower. Like you don't necessarily have a shop front you need to sell or, or a business you need to sell. You can just wind things down and go back to employment and there's nothing wrong with that. It's what, what works for you.
1: I think the big thing for me in hearing what you're describing about the advantages with starting your own business is choice. It gives you choice and it also it means that you have – more freedom, but you absolutely have way more responsibility, and I think that responsibility can be a weight. Mm,
2: yeah, and it's you know it's a bit like I said before. It's that it's that non sexy good stuff. Like I could sit here and go, you have no income ceiling; you can do whatever you want. But like, you know the fact is, for most people in normal everyday businesses, there are constraints that outweigh. You know, mm. they, they're just two different ways of making a living: being employed, being self employed. It's not. I don't think that one is vastly better than the other. And, you know, there are so many different ways to be an employee now as well. Like a lot of places have that unlimited leave or maybe you want to work remotely or, you know, it just depends on what your needs are and how your brain works and what kind of lifestyle you want. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing. I'm not going to kind of,
1: yeah. (laughs) I love it. Oh, it's so good. I'm going to, all right, we're going to finish off with one rapid fire question. What's the best career advice you've ever received?
2: The best piece of career advice I've ever received was, Actually, from my mum, which is interesting. I think a lot of people would be like, "Well, yeah, duh." But I don't know. My mum and I don't have that like major advice type relationship. But she said to me once. I remember, I was saying to her that I was working in a restaurant in London called Pizza Express. If anyone's been there, it's a chain of pizza restaurants that are a lot nicer than they sound. Pizza, <laughs> pizza Express sounds like it's like a you know a cart at the back of a car park. It's not. It's actually a nice restaurant. The pizza's great. Anyway, I was working there. Loved it. Like, I loved being a waitress. I absolutely loved it. It's all I ever wanted to be from when I was little, by the way, fun fact. And it was that pocket of time after uni where I had the restaurant job and I was, you know, applying for, quote-unquote, proper jobs. And when, I don't know what it's like now because the minimum wage in the UK is a lot higher, but uh, back then it was very low and you worked for tips on top. And I worked in a very affluent area of London. I, like, got the bus out of my, like, hovel into this really lovely area and the tips were really good. I swear I'm getting to the advice soon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was applying for these other jobs, and I got this um, other job offer that was in real estate, and it was a, you know, office job, so it was a graduate type opportunity but the money was going to be way worse than my pizza express um, money was when tips tips and all things considered and I just I knew I was going to hate it a bit of some you know a bit red flags and things like that at the interview and I knew I wasn't going to like it but I thought oh, I should I should take that because that's you know what I came to London to do I didn't come to London to be a waitress and my mum just said to me like not even in an advicey way she was just like let me just tell you one thing if you like your job stay there Mm. and I was like And in that context, it was so important because there was so much like pressure to take the quote unquote proper job. I was staying in this like temporary job, but I really liked it. And she was like, if you like your job, don't leave. And I was just like, she was like, that's worth an awful lot if you like your job. And I was like, it's such a good point. And you know, there's obviously so many variables, but that is and I would still say that to anybody now because you know, I work in money stuff and look at financial behavior. The happier you are, the less money you need. And yes, there are boundaries at either side of that. You still need your basic needs met. But if you are earning, and you can actually go quite far with it. If you are earning 100 or 120K and you're miserable, I guarantee you will spend more than if you were earning, let's go as low as 60. Like that's half. And again, it totally depends what your basic needs are. But say that is viable and you're going to have to cut a lot, you will spend a lot less money if you are happier. Obviously, the trade-off is making sure you are happier. But if you are, or if you're going upwards the other way, like that extra money often gets sucked up on stuff that you just spend to exist in that wow. unhappy environment. Or it's conveniences because there are so many so many long hours and things like that. Like, If you like your job, <laughs> try and stay there or don't yeah. feel the pressure to leave.
1: What a way to end! This is amazing. Seriously, I am sorry. Loved- I'm not built for quick fire. <laughs> <laughs> Neither am I. We did this rapid fire episode the other day It was so long. I was like, this is the longest episode. You
2: rapid fire. Me, here's an eight minute answer.
1: Sorry, <laughs> I love it. That's my that's my kind of rapid fire. Well, thank you, Em. Now, how do people get in touch with you?
2: Good question. Uh, so you can find me in your ears at the Broke Generation podcast or Broke Business, wherever you get your podcasts. If you are self-employed, definitely come and listen to Broke Business. It's really good episodes in season one. You can also find me on social media at Generation on Instagram. I, I do have a TikTok, but I, I'm too old for that. So I'm not there often. So you're more likely to find me on TikTok. And you can also sign up to my weekly newsletter, which is called The Glue at thebrokegeneration.com /subscribe.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's been so so good to do this conversation with you. And as always, if you enjoy the show, give us five-star rating and review and share with your friends. Thanks for hanging out. Bye.